Father, as we were singing that, I, I couldn't help but think in my heart that surrender is one of those words that we use often, but practice very few times in our lives. It's easy to romanticize surrender. It's not always as easy to carry it out in our lives. And yet, Father, that is what you have called us to do at every season of our life. Whether it is in the good times or the bad times, it is to surrender our will and simply yield to the will of the Lord. To not lean upon our own understanding, but rather in all of our ways acknowledge you and let you direct our path. And that's hard. But I pray, Father, that even in light of what you've laid on my heart this morning, that we would allow your perfect work to be done in our lives and that we would not resist it because of our pride and of our own selfishness. But may we surrender and yield completely to you. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Bless the Lord. Give the Lord praise in His house here this morning. Amen. God is good. As you remain standing, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to open them with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, or excuse me, chapter 4, and we're going to begin at verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. We are going to return to our summer series that we have simply entitled Shore Points. And these are lessons from the beach. And um, as we have said, every week I or one of the other pastors will be up here and will be sharing with you a story from the Bible that either occurred on the beach, on the shore, in the water, on the water, something like that. And we're just looking at these stories to discover some great truths that will help us and sustain us in our lives for the glory of the Lord. Now, we took a couple of weeks off from this series. Uh, Two weeks ago, I took off to talk a little bit about what was going on in Dallas. You may remember last week, our district superintendent, Carl Coletti, was here sharing with us the word of the Lord. But I want to come back to this series today. Just to let you know what the rest of the summer is going to look like, I'm going to be speaking again next Sunday. The following Sunday, I have to go to a memorial service, so I won't be here that first Sunday in August. And then Pastor Joe is going to be speaking the second week as well. And then I'm going to finish up the series the last two weeks of August. That's how close we are to the end of summer. It's unbelievable how quickly the summer has gone. But I just wanted you to be aware of that, and then it'll be full steam ahead once we get into September and into October. But today I want to look at one of my favorite stories in Scripture. But before I do, I want to lay the foundation here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, where Paul says... But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always, say that word with me, always without ceasing, without ending, we're always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. What a unique position we find ourselves in, because every day we are dying to ourselves, yet in our dying to ourselves we are manifesting the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now this morning, I want to share with you a very simple message entitled, Shipwrecked, But Not a Wreck. 
How many of you are thankful today that you can be shipwrecked in life but never be a wreck for the glory and the honor of God? There is a difference for the glory of the Lord. Father, glorify your name today and encourage every heart in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord praise one more time in his house this morning. And then before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him in Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. You know, it has been said through the years that you really never know what you are made of until you've been exposed to pressure, until you've been exposed to difficulty, to a struggle, to a crisis, to a conflict. That it really isn't until you have been in a pressure situation that you actually discover what you are made of. You know, even the Bible speaks of this principle. In Proverbs 24, in verse number 10, we read, If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. And yet what I'm gripped with as I read that verse is that the size of your strength, whether it is great or small, can only be discovered when you are under pressure. And that appears to be what the Apostle Paul was getting at in the text that we just read a moment ago. Paul tells us that as believers, we often find ourselves on the brink of disaster. A situation that he calls carrying in our bodies the dying of Christ, yet never given over to it completely so that in our deliverance, his resurrection life might be manifested in us. In other words, the treasure that we have in these earthen vessels we call bodies is that the excellent, and that word excellent means far-reaching, excessive, above and beyond power that we live by every day is of God and not of ourselves. That's the treasure that we have as true disciples of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that every day we are being sustained by the grace and the power of Almighty God. Amen? There is not one of us in this room that have done anything to earn or to deserve the life that we have this morning. We are being sustained every single day by the grace and by the power of Almighty God. But this power, as far as believers are concerned, can never be manifested in this world as long as life is good, as long as life is easy, as long as life is comfortable. We'll blend in with everyone at that point and become nothing but white noise because everyone can hold it together when life is good. It is only when life is difficult that what really sustains the believer comes through. So God allows us as believers to be hard-pressed, but never to the point where we're crushed. He allows us to be perplexed, but never to the point where we're in despair. He allows us to be persecuted, but never to the point where we have been forsaken. He allows us to be struck down, but never to the point where we are destroyed, bringing us right to the brink of death, destruction, and disaster, so that everyone around us may see that the power by which we get through this and we are restored is not of ourselves, but is of the power of Almighty God in Jesus' name. In other words, don't be surprised if God leads you into the most difficult seasons of your life because it is the only way that He can put His resurrection power on display in the world because it's when you're in those perilous times you do not lean on your own strength but you lean on the power of God that brought you through in Jesus' mighty name. So with that thought in mind, I would like you to consider something this morning. There is an exchange that actually occurred between Jesus and Peter. Ironically, it took place on the shore of Tiberias. When Jesus, discussing Peter's future, turns to him and says these words, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger... You girded yourself. Now, let me just pause there quickly and 
tell you what girded means, because that's not a word that we hear very often. Remember in Bible days, they wore tunic-like garments. And they were fine, you know, for just everyday activity. But if you were going to go on an extended walk or you were going to run, you could easily trip and fall over your garments. And so they would gird them up and literally they would reach between their legs. They would grab the, the edges of their garment, bring them through their legs and tuck them into their belt effectively making a pair of pants. And so that way they could walk and they could run unhindered and they would not trip and fall. That's what it is meaning. He says, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now many of you know what he was saying there. Jesus was saying, Peter, when you were a younger man, you had the freedom to decide the course of your life, the direction that you would take, the direction that you wanted to go in, and when you were going to go, and when you decided that this was the direction you were going to go in, and this was the time to depart, you would simply gather up the edges of your garment, stick them into your belt, and you would decide when you were going to go and in what direction you were going to go in. But I'm telling you that when you're an older man, you are going to stretch out your hands to the authorities and they are going to tuck your hands into shackles and chains and they're going to lead you where you do not wish to go. Obviously, he was signifying the death by which he would die and that, of course, is martyrdom. As I thought about that the other day in my study, and I was just considering that, the thought that occurred to me is that every one of us at various times in our lives will find ourselves bound by the choices and decisions that others around us make, and we will be taken to where we do not wish to go. I guarantee you that every one of us in this room have this at least in common. That all of us have been the victims of the choices and the decisions of other people around us. And in one moment of time, we were shackled and enslaved by their choices and their decisions and taken to a place we did not want to be in. If you're a parent, you get that. Because every day there are sons and daughters that make decisions that in the moment seem very innocent, very insignificant, very inconsequential. But the repercussions will be felt not only in their lives, but in the lives of their parents and their families. Maybe not even just for a season of their life, maybe even for the rest of their lives. All of a sudden... Mom and dad find themselves shackled by the choices that their sons and their daughters have made and will now be led to the next season of their lives to a place they did not want to go. Children, by the selfish decisions of parents, have found themselves taken captive by choices and led to a broken home, a place they never wanted to be. Husbands and wives have been taken captive by the choices of their spouses that they have made and have been taken to divorce, a place they never wanted to go. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here today? Can anyone point to a moment in their life when somebody made a choice, when somebody made a decision that wasn't your choice and your decision, but because of the choice and their decision that they made, they lived so close in proximity to your life that you found yourself taken to a place you didn't want to go in. You know, it's one thing to live with regret as a direct result of what I've done to myself, but it's quite another to find myself in a place I never wanted to be in, making decisions I never wanted to make, doing things I never wanted to do, simply because someone made a decision never considering how it would affect me. You know, even as a country, we've been shackled by the decisions that politicians have been making for many years, and we have been taken to where we did not want to go as a country. 
But what I want you to see this morning is that God will allow these seasons to occur in our lives so that as we pass through them, those who observe us may see that the excellence of the power that has brought us through is not of ourselves, but is of the Lord. God has been known to put His power on display in us. That is what it means to be a witness of God. And so God oftentimes will allow you to be drug around by the choices and the decisions of others and apply great pressure to your life so that when you come out of it and you are going to come out of it men and women will see that it is not your power that got you through but it was God's power who brought you through and delivered you in Jesus' mighty name. Nowhere do I see this more clearly illustrated than again one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Now the challenge before me is that everything that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart today comes from Acts chapter 28, but there's no way you can understand the events of Acts 28 without first understanding the context that is laid out in Acts 27. So you're going to have to give me just a few moments to give you a brief overview of Acts 27 so that you'll understand the context of Acts 28. Because when we get to Acts 28, we'll find Paul shipwrecked because of a series of bad decisions that other people made. But through the story, you're going to see how God quickly elevated Paul to a point where he is leading everyone. By the time this is over, Paul is actually going to be commanding all of the experts, all of those who have been navigating ships for years, and even the one who owned the boat, because at some point during the storm, it became obvious that the power guiding Paul in his earthen vessel was not his own, but was Almighty God. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that God reserves the right to put you and I into a storm just to show all those who are there that you have come through not by your doing but by the power of almighty God and it's not about us anyway it is all about him and however he wants to use me to show forth his glory God do it because it's not about me it's about you in Jesus mighty name come on somebody give God the praise if you believe that so many of you know that Paul had been arrested in the city of Jerusalem and was now ready to be transported some two years later to the city of Rome. Now it was decided that they would set sail for Rome on the very edge of the most dangerous season to sail. At that particular time, there were about three to four months that you would never set sail because it was a stormy season. Storms could come out of absolutely nowhere. So when you came to that particular season, you would harbor in a particular city and you would stay there for the next three or four months and then you would set sail because it was simply too treacherous to sail during this period of time. But it was just the beginning of that season. And so those in authority believed that there was a small window for them to make it to Rome. And so they set sail. Paul was, among other prisoners, also bound for Rome under the authority of a Roman centurion named Julius. And just a couple of days into the voyage, the Bible says that the winds became contrary. It was the first sign of things to come. Ignoring these, however, they pressed on and even finding another ship that they thought might fare better in the difficult winds. But the reality is the conditions worsened. And they worsened to the point where it was no longer just difficult to sail. It was dangerous for them to continue. And it was at this point that the Apostle Paul, who remember is just a prisoner, finally steps up and begins to speak to all of the experts and to all of those who are in authority. And he says to them, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. This was a word from God. He says, I perceive because of these contrary winds... And because of the worsening conditions that this is going to end in disaster. 
Not only the loss of the ship and the cargo, but even of our own lives. Have you ever been there before? When you were surrounded by family or friends or co-workers and you saw one bad choice after another bad choice being made and you just tried to be as calm and collective as you could when you went to him and said, you know, I perceive that this is going to end in disaster if we don't change courses very soon. How many of you have ever been in that situation? with your family, with your friends. This is going to end in disaster if you marry him, if you date her, if you spend that money, if you stay the night, if you make that phone call. I perceive that there is going to be disaster in this. And what is so sad is that in spite of this warning from the Lord, the centurion chose to listen to the counsel of the helmsman and of the owner of the ship, and they pressed on. Not long after this, they ran directly into a nor'eastern that the Bible calls Eurocladon, and this is when conditions deteriorated quickly. All of a sudden, we find them undergirding the ship for fear that it is going to fall apart. They're throwing things overboard to try and, you know, lighten the load. They're not even steering anymore because they fear that if they resist the winds and the waves, that it will tear the boat apart. And so they're just letting it be driven by the storm at this point. The Bible says that they did not see the sun nor the stars For days on end. In fact, the Bible says that they actually gave up hope of being saved at all. But how many of you know that God's greatest performance is always on the stage of impossibilities? And it was right now. I mean, this is just the dramatic moment. It's now that Paul steps forward and listen to what he says. Men, you should have listened to me. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now come on Paul, how could you possibly know that? For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Saying, do not be afraid Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. Can I pause there for a moment? This is why it is so important for you and I to be in the center of God's will. This is why it is so important that you know that you can never take a vacation from obeying Almighty God. This is why we are being told that no matter what the situation is, we've got to be sensitive to God and walk with Him and be in the center of His will. Because here's what the angel was saying. You have a destiny with Rome. God has ordained you to stand before Caesar so that you can give an account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you are in the center of the will of God. It doesn't matter what choices and decisions others around you have made. Even if they're putting your life in peril, you're still going to come out of it because you're where I want you to be. Folks, be in the center of the will of Almighty God because it doesn't matter what choices and decisions others around you are making. God will preserve you because you're walking obediently with God in Jesus' mighty name. Bless God. He says, indeed, God has granted you all these who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. So it is at this point that Paul actually becomes the leader. And everyone begins to look up to him. Everybody begins to look for his counsel and to listen to what he is saying. Because it is now obvious that he is the only one who is hearing from the Lord. Well, to just speed this up, the storm lasts for two weeks. It's hard to imagine a two-week unending storm. But it finally was over. It was with struggle. It was with great difficulty. But listen to what it says at the end of chapter 27. I love this. But the centurion commanded that those who could swim jump should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards, some on parts of the ship, And so it was that they all, say this with me, escaped safely to land. I love that. And this is where we pick up at chapter 28. 
And when they had escaped, they, they then found out that the island was called Malta. I love how it reads in the English Standard Version. It says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. I love this. They escaped the storm. They were brought through safely. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't without some tales to tell and some scars to prove them, but they made it. And I'm going to tell you one lesson that we need to grasp right here from this story is that if you hold on to the Lord and obey His commandments, you will get through it. Amen. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're going to get through this. Come on, say it like you mean it. You're going to get through this. If you will obey God, if you will hold on to Him and not lean on your own understanding, God will bring you through the storm. It may not be pretty. It may not be classy. You may not be making the journey in a five-star hotel room. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to get through it in Jesus' mighty name. Some of you know exactly what I am talking about this morning. Because you look back over your life and you've been through the storms and you've been through the shipwrecks and you know that you've shed some tears and you've had the broken life and you know you've washed up shore and you were tired and you were exhausted and you said, I don't know how I made it. But now you're looking back, you know exactly how you made it. God brought you through because you obeyed Him because you would not bow down to the storm but you live for God in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, He brought you through it. I'm going to tell you, we have got to restore some sanity back to the Christian faith where we realize that it's not always going to be easy. He didn't say when you walk through the fire, you won't smell like smoke or you won't come out a little crispy on the edges. He just promised you won't be burned. He didn't say when you walk through the water, you won't swallow a little. You won't go under a few times. You won't get wet. He just said you are not going to drown. Whatever you're going through today, I can tell you, you may come out with some scars. You may come out through with some uh, burns. You may come through with some bumps and bruises, but you're going to come through it in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody give God the praise? Yes, there's going to be stories to tell. There's going to be scars, but every one of those scars are going to say, God brought me through it in Jesus' mighty name. But nothing could have prepared Paul for what was going to happen next. And the natives shown us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Wow. Now just imagine this. He has survived a two-week storm. He is washed up on shore. He is exhausted. He is mentally, emotionally, and physically drained. But he doesn't take a sabbatical. He goes and immediately starts serving God and the people by gathering up sticks. I could preach a long time on that. It's amazing to me how people will go through a little season in their life and say, you know, Pastor, I just need a sabbatical. I just need some time away. Paul would look at you and say, come on. He immediately went to work. Why? Because I believe Paul understood something. That if you take too much time off from serving, that that idleness becomes a playground for Satan. And he could have gotten bitter, and he could have got angry, and he could have said, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this? So he said, you know what? I'm going to keep serving. When you get tired, the best thing is to serve more in Jesus' mighty name. I'm not saying that there's not a time to rest, that there's not a time when we need to recharge, but I'm saying that the longer that goes on, that idleness will produce a place for the enemy to come in. And wreak havoc on you. 
So the Apostle Paul is immediately serving and he gathers up the sticks and he lays the sticks on the fire and as the fire intensifies, all of a sudden, a viper, a poisonous snake, leaps out of the flame and doesn't just sting him, it clings to him. He's looking and there is a snake hanging off his hand. Now I don't know what his first reaction was. I know what my first reaction would have been. I would have looked at that and said, you have got to be kidding me. I just survived a nor'eastern on the open sea to die by a snake bite. Really? Like I would have, I would have been so frustrated. Not Paul. To add insult to injury, listen to what happens next. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, They said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. (laughs) You ever been there when you were falsely accused? Now, I want to make some observations, but before I do, I want to go through the rest of the story. So here's Paul, and he is just trying to serve. What does he get for his service? A snake strike. And it's hanging on to him. And all of the natives draw their conclusions, they, they form their opinions that he is a murderer and that justice has finally been served now on the beach. How does he respond? I love it. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were still expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Wow. I love this story. I'm telling you that it is probably my favorite story in the Bible because there's so many twists and turns. There's so many practical lessons that you can get from these two chapters And I don't have time to go through everything. I just want to point out to you three very simple thoughts that I pray would encourage you as you pass through these pressing days that you are experiencing and going through. First of all, I want you to remember that sometimes the things we endure in life cannot be explained. Now the reason that I say that is simply because I've been in church all of my life. And I always want to qualify that. I haven't been saved all my life. I've been in church all of my life. And I have heard thousands and thousands of sermons. And I've heard many sermons on this particular portion of Scripture because, let's be honest, it just lends itself to good preaching. And through the years, as I have heard people expound upon this, I've heard them use it uh, allegorically. In other words, they will use various pictures within the story as an allegory of a spiritual principle. And you can understand that. I mean, it doesn't get much better than a snake jumping on Paul. I mean, that just lends itself to preaching on a satanic attack. Satan being the serpent. And so it just lends itself to that. And I'm not saying that allegorical preaching is always wrong. I think it's a little dangerous and dicey because you can get off into a tangent that isn't even of the Lord. But I don't know that I think it's always wrong to use it as a type. But I think that when you do that, you miss out on just some very practical things. Like when we say that the snake was Satan or it was a satanic attack... We're actually adding the scripture there because the Bible doesn't say that at all. Does it? In fact, there's no explanation that is given whatsoever. And what I think is interesting is that Paul didn't even ask for an explanation. He just shook it off. Because Paul understood that there are some things we endure in life that there are no explanations for. How many of you know we live in a fallen world? We live in a fallen world where just about anything that can happen will happen. 
And there are just some things that happen to us life in life that have no rhyme nor reason. They're inexplicable. And we don't like that as Americans. Because there's something about this Western way of thinking that we demand answers. We don't want this, this thing to be open-ended. We want closure. So we believe that somebody has to answer for this. Somebody has to explain this to me. I want to know who is behind it. What was the purpose for it? I want to know all the details. I want somebody to pull back the curtain and show me what was really going on behind this. And I have spent the last 20 years of my life as a pastor watching many men and women waste decades of their life all trying to find the answer to things that have no answer. And they get bitter and they get resentful instead of just realizing, hey, there are some things in life there is no explanation for. There are some things in life I'll never be able to make sense of. And you can spend the rest of your life and waste it looking for all the answers. Or you can just say, God, I don't know why I was in the storm. I don't know why you allowed the shipwreck. I don't know why the snake came. And I don't know why they slandered me. But I know who brought me through. You were the one that brought me through. And I'm going to trust all of the unknown with you. And I'm just going to follow you wherever you take me. In Jesus' mighty name. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but let me just say this. Because many of you know this story. The snake attack is actually going to open a door for Paul to witness to the entire island. And the thought that occurred to me the other day is that sudden inexplicable events in our lives that we tend to curse may actually be an opportunity that we have been praying for to witness to people that do not know Christ as Savior. Do you ever think about that? Some of us have been fighting against God because it is God who is actually the one that led you into that situation not to destroy you, but be a testimony to those who are around you of the power of God in Jesus' name. The second thought that I have here for you this morning is that opinions rarely change by becoming defensive, but rather by positive action. So therefore, when the snake comes, shake it off. <laughs> Opinions rarely change by becoming defensive, but rather by positive action. So therefore, when the snake comes, just shake it off. Listen, I have a lot more to learn in my lifetime. But the one thing that I have learned to this point is that opinions rarely change because you get defensive. What actually changes the mind of those whose mind can be changed is just positive action. Immediately the villagers draw their own conclusion. They develop their own opinion of the matter. And even though they are wrong, that was their opinion. They looked at that snake hanging on to his hand and their conclusion was he's a murderer. And even though we made it through the shipwreck and storm, judgment has found him here on the island of Malta. And what I think is interesting is that even though they were dead wrong, Paul never addresses them. Paul never tries to clarify the issue. He never seeks to defend himself or anything to justify what was happening. He just simply shakes it off and goes right back to serving the Lord. Because he realized that if I get into a long debate with these people, I probably will die. It would be better for me to just shake it off and keep living for God. And folks, I'm, you've heard me say this for years, and you're going to hear me say it for years to come. But I remember reading this probably 25 years ago, and I have never forgotten it. There is never a reason to become defensive. Because if you're right, you don't need a defense. And if you're wrong, you don't have a defense. There is absolutely no reason for you to ever become defensive. 
When somebody slanders you, when somebody accuses you, when someone lashes out at you, there is absolutely no reason for you to become defensive. Because if you're right, you don't need a defense. If you're wrong, you don't have a defense. It's better if you're right to just close your mouth and keep moving and serving the Lord and let God be the one to vindicate you. And if you're wrong, own it. Come on, just own it and say, you're absolutely right. I was wrong. Please forgive me. But don't become defensive. And yet we hate that because when our reputation is tarnished or someone has said something, we just want to bow up and defend ourselves. But it rarely, if ever, works. The best advice I can give you here is just shake it off and keep living for Jesus and let God vindicate you one day in Jesus' name. Now I know some of you are saying, well, Pastor Kerr, what exactly does it mean to shake it off? I don't know how theological this is going to be, but my father couldn't have been the only dad that said when his kids fell down, get up, shake it off. Come on, how many of you heard that at some point in your life? I can't tell you how many times I got a ball to the face. I fell down and twisted my ankle and I'm sitting there writhing in pain and my dad said, Kurt, get up, shake it off. It hurts, Dad, and it's going to hurt until it doesn't. Great wisdom. (laughs) Now listen, I know that life hurts sometimes. And I know that there are broken hearts. And I know that there is pain. But you can sit there and writhe in pain on and on and on. Or you can finally hear the voice of the Lord say, Get up, son. Get up, daughter. Shake it off and keep moving for me. I'll take care of you. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on. Somebody give God praise. Paul knew that he had no control over what happened to him, but he had complete control over what was going to happen in him. And he was determined not to allow the poison of bitterness and offense to get into his heart. So he just shook it off and went right back to serving Almighty God. And folks, what we have got to understand is that what is happening in us is infinitely more important than what is happening to us. We want to sit around and talk about how this person hurt me and what this person said about me and just moan about it and complain about it. But I'm going to tell you what will destroy you is not what's happening to you. It's what is happening in you. Far more fatal than the poison of an asp or a viper is that poison of bitterness and anger and and unforgiveness that gets into your heart folks it is just time for us to build a bridge and get over it shake it off and live for God no matter the cost in Jesus mighty name then the third thought I want to give you is that it takes longer to regain your reputation than it does to lose it did you notice that immediately, seeing that viper on his hand, they said, he's a murderer. They didn't ask anything. They didn't question. They just saw a snake hanging on his hand and said, this guy's a murderer. They formed their opinion about him in one moment. But it was after he shook it off that they watched him, and it says it very clearly there, they watched him a long time time and then they changed their mind now listen we all understand here that Paul didn't do anything wrong and that's the worst kind of accusation it's one thing for people to accuse me when I've done what is wrong it's another thing for people to accuse me when I've done nothing wrong but the principle still is true it took longer for him to regain his reputation then it took him to lose his reputation. Our reputation, our name, Proverbs says that a good name is to be valued more than rubies and fine metals. Our reputation is fragile. And folks, that is why we must live consistent, 
holy and godly lives every single day. Because all it takes is one transgression. One transgression can set you back in your testimony for years. We don't like that. But I've been on this planet long enough to know that one transgression can set your testimony back for years. That's why I believe it says in Proverbs 25 and verse number 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. I've often said this, and I would say it, if you're going to fail, fail here. (laughs) Fail among the believers. Because at least we know that just because we're believers doesn't mean we don't fail at times. But when you're out there, Represent him well. Live godly. It takes one moment to compromise your reputation, in some cases for years to come. And it takes hard work and diligence in Christ to regain that testimony. Let's talk frankly. This is why skepticism of the faith is at an all-time high in this country and around the world. It took very little for our reputation to be lost and it will take years of consistent godly conduct and behavior to cause many to see that the power of God, that the power that we live in is not of ourselves but is of God. So I just stand here before you as your pastor and tell you, live right. Be godly. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian and you are living together and you're not married, move out today. Today. Oh, but Pastor Kurt, oh, but Pastor Kurt, nothing. Flee youthful lust, the Bible says. Listen, I'm camped out on that recently just because I've seen there's so many people that have no conviction over that. And yet the Bible is so clear about that issue. Live godly. Have godly marriages. Wives, submit to your husbands for the sake of Christ. But he doesn't deserve it. I didn't read that that was an exception in the Bible. It doesn't qualify it. It just says, wives, respect your husbands. Only the wives can say amen to that. Not the husbands. Because that wasn't written to you. You're not a wife. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Children, obey your parents. Parents, do not provoke your children to wrath. Let your yes be yes. Be honest in your business deals. Be honest in all of your dealings with men and women. Live a godly and a holy life so that men and women may see that it is not you that is driving your life, but it is the power of a resurrected King that is guiding you every step of the way. In Jesus' mighty name. Does that mean that we don't make mistakes? No. But please, when you fail, would you own it? Don't blame it on your husband or your wife. And don't blame it on your pastor and on your church and anybody else, your cat and your dog. Don't blame it on anybody. Own it. I failed. And please, For the sake of His holy name, don't say to people, well, Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. You know who says that? People who don't want to live right. The power of God dwells within us so that we can live godly lives. And when we stumble, we look at the world and say, I have sinned. It is my fault. And I need you to forgive me. And remember that this has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with me. I got my eyes off Christ. Don't look at him for what I've done.
I'm going to close with this. It says in verse 7, Now in the neighborhood of that place were, were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, listen to this, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Do you ever ever wonder that, and again, this is the dramatic side of me, but you just wonder if this is when the lights went on for Paul. As he's, he's laying his hands on Publius's father and he sees that God has healed and restored him and word of this goes and he looks out one day and he sees the whole island coming and he says, that's why there was a storm. To get me to an island that did not know that there was a Jesus who saves, heals, and delivers. I just, I just can't help but think that. You know what? Listen, this may sound so simple, but just please don't ever forget it. Detours are not dead ends. I think a lot of times we get frustrated because we think that because our life has taken a series of really difficult detours that that means it's a dead end. Having gone through many detours in my travels, I can always tell you, though though they might have been inconvenient, I've always ended up at my final destination. Detours are never dead ends. They just are the longer way to the destiny that God has for your life in Jesus' name. Paul may have said, I don't understand this shipwreck and I may not understand the storm that we endured and I may not understand a snake and I may not understand the slander that I endured for a while, but now I can see that people are being changed by the power of God. Listen, folks, we may not like the storms we go through. We may not enjoy the shipwrecks that we endure, the snake bites that we will suffer, and the slanderous attacks that will be leveled against us. But I ask you, if it gets us to a broken, hurting, sick, and lost world and provides them the opportunity to see that the power in us is not of us but is of the Lord, and they are healed, saved, and delivered, won't it be worth it all anyway in Jesus' name? Don't resist God's plan. You are hard-pressed, but you will never be crushed. God has his way in your life, and he will use it for a blessing. In Jesus' mighty name, bless the Lord. Give him praise here this morning. Bless God. Hallelujah. Can you stand to your feet here this morning, and just for a moment, can you... Can you do what maybe...